Turn your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's going to be on page 774. While you're turning there, I want to tell you about this book, a book by Tim Keller called The Prodigal Prophet. Uh, There is a website called The Gospel Coalition that I frequent with lots of articles about the Bible and about theology. And um, I started to notice they kept doing articles about this book. And I'm like, after the third article about how great this book is, um, and I'm like, wait, I'm preaching, Jonah. Um, Thanks, Amazon Prime. Ordered it on Wednesday, read it Friday and Saturday. I'll quote it today. But I caught up. And you can catch up too, or you can read it later. But uh, Tim Keller, the prodigal prophet, Jonah and the mystery of God's mercy. So I just wanted to commend that to you if you want to do some extra reading on Jonah. If you want to hear all the right answers, read that book. And uh... Anyway, Jonah chapter 2, if you weren't here with us last week, I'd encourage you to go to the website and listen to the sermon from Jonah chapter 1. Um, But as we begin Jonah chapter 2 this morning, I want to talk about how you men never ask for directions. Now, for those under 30, I need to explain something. There was a time when we didn't have GPS and Google Maps on our phones. And we had these things just called regular maps. It wasn't Google Maps. And we had to read these pieces of paper. It's like a newspaper. I'll explain that to you later. Um, But at this time, and many of us were there, most of us were there, but we didn't have a little voice on our phone telling us when to turn. And we couldn't just pop in the address. We had to actually know how to get there. And out of this came this great stereotype that probably many of you, if you just got elbowed by your spouse, um, we're talking about you, where the family would be in the car, and all of a sudden, usually the wife, usually the spouse, would be looking around and be like, this doesn't look familiar. We've gone over the river and through the woods, but we are nowhere near Grandma's house. And again, in this caricature, this stereotype, the man driving would be like, no, no, it's fine. No, no, it's fine. Now, sometimes a true miracle would take place. And God in his providence, by his mighty outstretched hand, would guide the man back to the right road. But most of the time, after the lies, the man would break down and finally find a gas station or something along those lines. He would have, his spirit would be broken, and he would ultimately have no choice but to go ask for directions. Again, for some of you, I just, you just had flashbacks to like some trip to the Grand Canyon. This is real talk this morning, real talk. But I want to focus on that last part. Because how much that man had to endure before he finally would break down and ask for help. And oftentimes... 
again, those of us who lived through these things, it was when there was literally no other option. And it was only then that the man would ask for help. Today, as we continue to look at the story of Jonah, he's finally in the fish's stomach. The part of the story we all know. And what I want us to see is that he is literally at the end of himself. He literally has nowhere else to go, literally has no other options. And it's at that this point in chapter 2, we see him begin to turn back to God. Now, if you remember last week, I was probably a little more critical of Jonah than you're used to. And I want you, even though this is a bright spot in the story, I want you to keep that skepticism. And how we're going to think of it this morning is chapter 2 is the beginning of Jonah's journey back into right relationship with God. So our big idea, if you're following along in the outline, is this. When we call out to God in repentance and faith, he hears us and saves us. So let's look at nowhere left to run. We'll begin with verse 17 of chapter 1 going into verse 2. Follow along as I read. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. So last week we saw the chapter ended, the part of the story ended, where Jonah is thrown into the water. And as verse 17 said, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And the narrator tells us that Jonah was in the fish for three days and three nights. Now, we don't know exactly when Jonah started praying, but based on my knowledge of myself, I bet it wasn't right when it happened. It was probably at least through most of day two. But regardless, what we see is that he finally realizes he cannot run anymore from God. He's literally stuck in a fish. He can't talk to the fish to get it to pull over and let him out. He does not have that control over sea animals. But again, what I want us to see is that he finally reaches the end of himself. This reminded me of a story my college professor once told. He was a geography professor, and he did most of his work scholarship in the area of Eritrea and Ethiopia. And he told the story of one time where they took the wrong type of tent, and a tent that could not stand up to the rigors of the weather and heat in that part of the world. And on top of that, he became very sick, And so he found himself confined to his cot and nothing else. Here he was in another country, flat on his back for many days. 
And as he told us this story, he said it was a time that he will always remember, a time of great reflection on who he was and what he was doing, and an understanding of God. You see, God had to put him on his back to get his attention. And God is doing the similar thing to Jonah in our story. And sometimes we need to see a pattern here of sometimes God lays us out on our backs when we can only look up for him to get our attention. From the book I referenced earlier, author Tim Keller writes, It is only when you reach the very bottom, when everything falls apart, when all your schemes and resources are broken and exhausted, that you are finally open to learning how to completely depend on God. As is often says, you never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And Jonah needed to be put in this place so that he could begin his journey back to right relationship with God. And sometimes God does the same things to us. That he puts us on our back so we will look up and see him. And as a part of that, Jonah begins this prayer that is the rest of chapter 2. So let's begin looking at Jonah's prayer in verses 2 and 3. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep and into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah, the context of this prayer is Jonah's near-death experience of almost drowning in the sea. And you'll see that throughout. But he begins with the positive. While he is drowning, he called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered. Our God is a God who answers prayer. Our God is a living God who answers when his people call. He cries out in his distress, and the same is for us in our pattern of life, of when we are in distress, we must call out to the Lord. Now, while he is calling out to God, I want you to look at verse 3. He calls out to the Lord and he answered me. But in verse 3, we see a shift to refer to God as you. A shift to the second person, for you cast me into the deep. Now, wait a minute. I thought the sailors were the ones that threw him in. Notice how Jonah understands the providence of God in that even while the sailors were the ones who physically threw Jonah in, he sees God's act of active providence in his life. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. There's an amazing thing here in that Jonah at the same time sees God's providence in his distress, 
but at the same time is calling out to God in that distress. He is where he is out of the providence of God because of his disobedience that we saw in chapter 1, but he also knows that God is the only one who can save him. God sovereignly brings us to the end of ourselves when we have nowhere else to turn except to him. God is getting Jonah's attention and he continues on in his prayer in verses 4 to 7 to help us understand the depth of his distress and again this pattern of understanding the distress, the difficulty, the storm, but yet crying out to God in hope. Let's look at verses 4 to 7. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Sometimes God's word gives us the words we need for our distress. Look, look at what Jonah says in verses 4 to 6. That he's driven away from God's sight. Verse 5, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountain. The word picture is of somebody struggling in the water, and the more they struggle, the more that they drown. The visuals here, the roots of the mountain, it is picturing how big the mountains are. And if a tree was that big, how deep would the roots be? That Jonah sees himself being dragged down to the very bottom of creation. He cannot swim up. He's too far down. And even if he tries to swim, the seaweed enwraps him and prevents him from doing anything. Verse 6, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. This is the bleak nature of Jonah's distress. Some of you can understand Jonah's words. Where in your distress you feel like you are drowning and there is no hope for your life. And the more that you struggle, the more you drown. Yet, yet, verse 6, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Jonah has sunk so low that the only one who can reach him is the Lord. And since the Lord is a God who answers prayer, 
since the Lord is the one who helps his people when they cry out to him in their distress. God brings his life from the pit. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Even though he did not deserve it, even though his life was in great danger, here is his hope. The Lord hears and the Lord saves. When you are drowning in your sorrow, when you are drowning in your hardship, the Lord hears and the Lord saves. How does he do that? In these verses, in verses 4 to 7, we have two mentions of the temple. Why would Jonah talk about the temple? Look at verse 4. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And then verse 7. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. Why would he talk about the temple? What was the significance of the temple? Two things. First of all, the temple represented God's presence among his people. So we believe that our God is present among his people. Contrast this with something like the deists of the time around the founding of our country. They viewed God as the ultimate clockmaker who winds up the clock. I'll explain this to the under 30s later. They wind up the clock... and you just let it go, right? That's the God of deism. He sets the world in motion. He, he moves the ball so it starts rolling, but then he's absent. The God of the Bible is among his people. For those of us living on the side of the cross, he is with us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Where the New Testament tells us that, that God's Spirit indwells individual believers. But secondly, think of what happened at the temple. The sacrifices. How can a person approach the God of the universe? The temple taught us through sacrifice, through substitutionary death. Now again, living on this side of the cross, we understand that the sacrifices of the temple pointed us to Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice, the one-time sacrifice who reconciled God and man. But so when Jonah is saying, yet again I will look on the temple, he is saying, God, I know you are with me. And I know through the picture of sacrifice that you have made a way for sinful people to be in relationship with a holy God. Jonah in the belly of the whale begins to understand that the Lord saving him is an act of grace and mercy that he does not deserve, 
and that is done out of the love that God has for him. And this idea that points forward to Jesus of that sacrifices reconcile God and man. We see this continue on in verses 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I want to start at the end of those verses and work backwards. Salvation belongs to the Lord. If it belongs to the Lord, it doesn't belong to us. Right? If it's from God, then it's not from me. Jonah is beginning to understand this in a greater way. Now again, I want to caution you, this is the beginning of his journey of understanding. But this is a good place to start. It is the beginning of Jonah seeing that salvation of being saved from our sins and reconciled to the God who created us is not about works, good works we've done, but it is based on the grace and mercy of God. And again, for those of us living in the New Testament, we know that it, we receive the mercy and grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose again for us. In that sense, we can say with Jonah, salvation belongs to the Lord. This leads him to recommit to the worship of God. We saw this last week where the pagan sailors made vows and made sacrifices. We talked about how those were verbs of worship in that, in that culture. But here we see Jonah finally get because we said these pagan sailors are sacrificing and praying to God, but Jonah the prophet isn't. We talked about that contrast a lot last week. But here, but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. He is recommitting to the worship of God. Then we get to verse 8. And this is where we need to be a little skeptical of Jonah. Because what he says in verse 8 is true, but it shows a blind spot in his own life. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. It's true, those who follow false gods do not have hope as those who follow the true God. But as one author writes, he sees the literal idols that the pagans worship and doesn't see the more subtle idols in his own life that keep him from fully grasping that he too, like the heathen, lives only equally by God's grace. It's not grace for good people and bad people. It is grace and mercy for bad people. <laughs> now, Jonah still needs to learn that. But he's on a good start on this idea of coming to see himself not just the pagans, but see himself as a recipient of God's mercy and grace. I think for us, especially those of us who have been believers for a long time, we often forget that we are just as much 
in need of the mercy and grace of Jesus as everybody else. We think of the prayer in the story Jesus told. God, I thank you that I'm not a sinner like that guy. The rest of the story is God teaching Jonah and therefore teaching us that we are in just as much need of God's mercy and grace. But he's on that journey to understand his need, and it begins here. And with that, the narrator comes back into the story. Now I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I'm going to read the last verse of chapter 2, along with the beginning of chapter 3. You still have to come next week to hear the sermon on chapter 3. You're not off the hook, okay? Verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Jonah has learned the lesson that he needed to learn in the fish. So God tells the fish, spit Jonah out. That time's done. Class is out. And then God says to Jonah, the beginning of chapter 3, which we'll look at more in depth next week, God says, let's try this again. Now, if you compare the first verses of chapter 3 with the verses of chapter 1, they are pretty much identical. Okay, in the first verse, we don't have the second time because it was the first time. And the only other difference is in chapter 1, verse 2, it says, Call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And in chapter 3, it says, Call out against it the message that I tell you. We see again the grace of God saying to Jonah, Shall we try this again? Are you ready? Are you ready to be obedient? And as we get into chapter 3 next week, we're going to see God's grace to Jonah in giving him a second try and his obedience, but that's for next week. But as we look at chapter 2 this morning, again, beginning Jonah's turn back to the Lord in this prayer in the belly of the great fish, I want to point out three points of application this morning. Number one, in your distress, call out to the Lord. In Jonah's prayer, he described himself as drowning, and how often in our difficulties do we feel like we are emotionally drowning, that we are psychologically drowning? And when you feel like you are drowning, call out to the Lord. Because he is there, and he will answer you. Now, don't only cry out to the Lord in the distress, but when you're in distress, call out. It should almost be a reflex over time that it's the first thing we go to, not the last. And how often is prayer the last thing we go to? Quickly call out to the Lord. 
Number two, is the Lord trying to get your attention? Maybe he hasn't put you in the belly of a fish lately. But is he trying to get your attention? Is the difficulties you are experiencing, the Lord trying to get you to listen, to slow down and ask, Lord, what are you saying? What are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to make me more like Jesus? Don't wait like Jonah because the Lord will go to extreme measures to get your attention. Listen and repent and believe. Number three, when we repent of our sins and believe in Jesus, we receive forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. When Jonah cried out to God, God saved his life. Now from the rest of the story, I don't know if we could call this crying out really repentance. That's going to come later. But when we cry out in repentance, confessing our sin, just like he did with Jonah, he will hear and he will rescue us from our sins and give us the hope of eternal life. Jesus offers all people, even the really naughty ones like Jonah, he offers grace and mercy. And what he wants us to do is respond with repentance of our sins and faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jonah chapter 2. That we would be quick to call out to you in our distress. That we would be quick to call out, to cry out in repentance and faith. And that we would know that you are there, that you hear us, and you will save us, for salvation belongs to the Lord. God, that we would not forget that all of us are in need of your mercy and grace and that you offer it to us freely through faith in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. At this time, I want to invite those who are helping with serving communion to come forward at this time.